millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello and welcome to the Roper Rapport podcast in association with Sunderland Community Soup Kitchen. My name is Rich Spate and I'm joined this afternoon down the line by George Ellick from the Not In The Top 20 podcast. Also, you will have seen him on Sky Sports, on Quest, uh, Highlight Show, an expert on all things EFL related, but is also an Oxford United fan and obviously Sunderland have got the game on Saturday afternoon at the Stadium of Light with Oxford United. So how are you this afternoon, George? Yeah, I'm good. Good, thanks, Rich. I was um, a bit disappointed when the game got rearranged to Saturday because when, as you say, I do a fair bit of work on weekends. So when the game is called off because international call-ups, I was looking forward to a nice Tuesday night trip to Sunderland, which I can do and staying up there for the night and all this. But sadly, um, I can't make it on Saturday. So I'm going to have to uh, listen in, uh, hopefully hoping for a good result. Well, this is a game in hand for both teams and both teams are are doing reasonably well in the league so far this season. But there's a lot of change afoot at Oxford United at the minute. I noticed when I was looking into the background to this game, there's a there's a takeover going on um how's how's that progressing no one knows is, is the short answer i think there, there are some similarities in terms of what's going on at sunderland and um at oxford where i, I mean i know that the sunderland takeover obviously went through um with carol louis dreyfus taking ownership of the club but there seems to be some question marks as to exactly who owns what percent of the club and other mm-hmm. bits and bobs at, at oxford the first murmurs of this takeover really started to gather pace about a year ago with i mean the the, the the guys who are taking over Alan Bakri, uh, Horse Geiker, Eric Tohir, these are all they've been they've hold they've held roles at the club in, in kind of a, a director um post for a few years. They're not they're not necessarily new faces, um, but talk of them taking over from Tiger, who's our, our current owner and chairman, started to surface about a year ago. From everything that I've heard, it's been agreed for a very long time. The only reason why it hasn't been rubber stamped is purely because it's with the EFL and um Rick Parry I think it is in a massively positive mood, has clearly come into the EFL and decided that it's going to be much harder for, for people to come in and buy EFL football clubs. And I think the the, the hoops that they have to jump through mean it takes a bit longer. So um, I would say that probably, even though Oxford is still owned by Tiger, I, I have a feeling some of the investment in terms of the, the playing staff has probably come from the prospective new owners. Um, the the wealth of, of the personal wealth of the guys combined who are coming in is vast. Uh, not that necessarily um, due to FFP, you can always invest as much as you want into the club. But uh, 
yeah, I think bright times on the horizon. A lot of Oxford fans have been excited about the takeover, but there's definitely people are getting quite weary of, of the lack of news and the lack of a, a concrete answer because crucially, and this may not interest Sunderland fans as much as the on-pitch stuff, there's a hope and a desire that when the takeover does go through, there's going to be a an answer to the stadium situation because uh, the Kassam Stadium is still owned by Feroz Kassam, who is Oxford's previous owner, uh, who is not very popular at the club, who charges the club mm-hmm. a fairly extortionate rate. And the hope is that because of the personal wealth of these these guys coming in, and their willingness to seemingly um, invest in in Oxford as a as a place uh, and as, and a community as much as the football club, they're going to be looking to build a new stadium for Oxford to move into in future seasons, which would make everyone uh, over the moon. It'd be nice to have four stands um, in a couple of years. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, certainly. I mean, I saw Bakri uh, interviewed on the BBC. Uh, seems a really articulate, intelligent mm. guy. He's uh, the he was the Indonesian uh, representative at the COP twenty six. Uh, conference in Glasgow, the climate change conference, and he was talking extensively about the kind of the ambitions to be an environmentally sustainable club, and that the the new ground is going to be hopefully um, you know built with the the community interest at heart and with kind of environmental concerns at the fore. Is that something that's going to be you know um, important for Oxford United and the community in Oxford as well in the local area? Yeah, I think, I mean, it can only be a good thing. I'd be lying if I said that one of the five reasons Oxford fans are most excited about the prospective takeover is because of the sustainability aspect of it. But as <laughs> someone myself who, who you know, I think it's it's the right way for a football club to to go, and it is important. Um, you know, as you say, they are impressive people. I, I think in my role as somebody who, who covers the EFL, um, kind of journalistically, I guess, in the podcast, is that we always approach new owners with, with suspicion before being proven otherwise because mm-hmm. so often we see people coming into clubs saying all the right things uh, and then either through incompetence or something more sinister that changes very quickly so you know that they are impressive I mean Bakri especially Eric Tohir has owned Inter Milan previously um, he was the owner of DC United when Wayne Rooney signed for the club so you know he's not somebody who has who's coming into Oxford um, and investing in Oxford for the first time um, with his eyes closed. You know, he's he's twice looked to, to invest in, in clubs with a much more sizable uh, bankroll than, than Oxford in the past. So so hopefully it'll be okay. But as ever, you know, even though, I mean, that, that BBC Radio Oxford interview with Anand Bakri was was impressive. Uh, and, you know, his Wiki, Wikipedia page is very impressive. You know, I, I don't need to tell Sunderland fans that sometimes when an owner seems too good to be true, quite often it can unravel pretty quickly <laughs> absolutely healthy skepticism is, is always the way and uh you mentioned the 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 ownership kind of breakdown structure at Sunderland I think once um the red and white army's minutes of their meeting with the uh board through the structured dialogue comes out we might have an answer to that it was certainly something that was on the agenda uh, and maybe when this podcast comes out those those uh, meet, mm. meeting minutes will be out there but Let's turn to footballing matters, shall we? Because on the pitch, the plan from Bakri is to get Oxford promoted within two years, is what he stated. And they're going all right at the minute. I mean, the the recent run of form, I look back over the last couple of months of results, and there were some, some really strong performances, really strong results, which have left Oxford on 32 points in eighth place, but only three point, points behind Sunderland, and on the same amount of games, are Oxford fans generally pleased with the performance so far this season? Yes, I would say so. Um, 
you know, like many fans of football clubs, you can get frustrated by some of the, you know, the the, the those who aren't so happy normally shout the loudest. And, and there seems to be some, um, well, at least a couple of weeks ago when the results weren't as good, some suggestions that maybe uh, the manager had taken us as far as he could. I, I always find it amazing that, you know, we've, we've reached the playoffs two consecutive seasons in a row and, and some fans seem to focus more on the fact that we didn't win the playoffs than the fact we were, we were there at all, which... I would say as a positive, and if we continue to finish in the top six, uh, eventually we're gonna we're gonna get it right and go up. So, um, as is often the case with with Carl Robinson's side, there is a feeling that we have done very well and we've played some great football in patches, and there's just been a couple of of areas where we we could have improved. Uh, looking back to the beginning of September, we were one 0 up at halftime away at AFC Wimbledon, uh, and I think we were possibly top of the league or second um, at half-time in kind of the live table. We lost that game 3-1. We then drew 0-0 with Wickham, went to Cheltenham and lost 1-0 and then drew 1-0 at home to Gillingham. Now, it's that run of form against four teams, with the exception of Wickham, four teams, well, three teams who we probably would have expected to to at least take a point. But not winning any of those four is probably what's cost us our chance of right now being up there with Rotherham and Wigan right towards the top end of the table. Our performances in isolation at times have been very good. And what I would say is, is I think now is, is probably quite a bad time to play Oxford because we had what should have been a kind of a week of hell, I guess, where we, we, were, we were up at Wigan on, on the Saturday morning um, and suddenly had a raft of positive COVID tests. The game was then postponed. Um, in midweek, we hosted, on the Tuesday, we hosted Fleetwood. We had 13 players out. We had to get a an emergency keeper in, uh, in Connor Truman from, from Birmingham, who drove straight to the game from Birmingham. Um, Carl Robinson mm-hmm. calling in a favour from, from Lee Bowyer. And I was there and I was expecting the worst. You know, when you have 13 players out, you've got your right back playing centre-back, you've only got four outfield substitutes. Um, even though Fleetwood came into it at a pretty low air, but I, I didn't anticipate it was going to be easy. But we completely blew them off the park. And, and Robinson said after, after the game how, you know, it was testament to the, to the players that we've got that we played some of the best football we've we probably played, not just this season, but in his tenure at the Kassam Stadium in that first 20 or 30 minutes. So that that kind of galvanised us. And then we had the visit of Rotherham on, on the Saturday. And um, I'm personally of the belief that Rotherham could easily win this league by about 10 points come the end of the season. I think they are, they are just better than every other team. And a lot of the underlying numbers... Um, a lot of kind of the data points from last season pegged them as a as a mid-table championship side who basically got the the bad rub of the green consistently last season and probably shouldn't have been relegated. Uh, and they've kept the majority of those players and added a couple of key ones as well. So going into that, none of our players were back, the same squad to choose from. And and even though Rotherham um, were by far the better team and, and hit the woodwork twice, it was a proper backs to the wall, you know, everything against us, battling nil-nil draw. And, and it feels like the whole club is... Yeah, as I say, being galvanised by a week where we were down to our bare bones, we picked up four points, we managed to do what not many teams have done recently and keep Rotherham um, at bay and not concede a goal. So we're unsure at the moment exactly how many, if everybody's going to be back. Robinson has spoken in the press about the fact that some of the players who had COVID um, have bounced back and been completely fine. Some of them have been very ill, so you'd probably anticipate those who've who've been poorly are probably not going to be able to to be fit for this one. Um, but certainly it feels like even though it was only four points taken, the last week has maybe just brought the, the fan base, the manager, the players all together in a bit of an us against them mentality that's got us some points. I think that that doesn't bode well for Sunderland uh, <laughs> at the weekend. I mean, co- the comparison with uh, our game against Rotherham uh, recently when we got absolutely scudded mm. uh, by, as you say, clearly the best team 
in the league. Yeah, at least at this point, certainly uh, that was really impressive and that did stand out. I mean, a nil-nil wouldn't usually stand out, but against against Rotherham, it certainly it certainly does. Um, so just looking back a little bit to the start of the season and you, the summer signings that were made by Carl Robinson, seems to be loans were the order of the day, and um, we've got Herbie Kane and uh, and and White from from Cardiff. Herbie came from Barnsley and White from Cardiff. Were they the two kind of standout acquisitions in the summer? Yeah, possibly. I mean, on paper, I'd probably say so. Um, Gavin White is a player who made his name at Oxford. We signed him, um, I think, from Bohemian to Northern Ireland. And he was brilliant for us for 18 months uh, and then ended up, we bought him for, for next to nothing and sold him for a million odd quid to Cardiff where it didn't really work out for him um, they completely misused him as a player he was often playing at right wing back you know mm-hmm. he's, an, he's an aggressive attacking forward really he can either play out, out wide um, on the right hand side or, or he can play up top as he's been doing recently um, and he you know it was incredibly exciting to get back a player who when we sold him not that long ago it felt like he was on he was destined for, for, for big things he hasn't really impressed this season he doesn't look like the same player um, he looks a bit short of confidence, which maybe is what happens when you go to a championship side and you struggle to break through and you're mm. often played out of position. He has looked better recently. He started playing through the middle in the second half against Fleetwood. He was a massive threat with his pace and behind. Uh, but I think Oxford fans would be you know, pretty disappointed that a guy who was able to dominate at this level for us just a couple of seasons ago isn't really showing that form at the moment. Uh, with Herbie Kane, that was more a case of, I mean, Carl Robinson said he was just a, a player who came available right at the end of the window who we weren't looking to sign. But as soon as he became available, everyone was so surprised that he was able to, to come to us that they moved very quickly to sign him. And he he is a, a quality, quality footballer. Um, he's somebody, his, his array of passing is too good for League One level. Um, I personally think his best position is on is either in a sitting two or on the, on the right-hand side of a three, but he's currently playing at the base of a three because Alex Gorin, the former Sunderland player, is um, is has got a long-term injury. He's done his ACL which is is fine because Kane's passing ability from that role is still very good but he and he is tenacious but he's not quite the same physical specimen let's say he's not quite as quick across the cover of the ground he's not quite as good in the tackle as Gorin so we're, we're often a little bit susceptible on the on the break when when Kane does play there and, and he's going to have to for the for the foreseeable but those two signings certainly on paper look pretty good um, but probably the key ones Jordan Thornley has, has offered a, a brilliant balance on the left-hand side of of a uh, of our two centre backs, he you know getting a left footed centre back is never easy at League One level, um, especially on a permanent transfer. Although there is an option for him to 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 do so, obviously Sunderland looking to get a seventeen year old kid in from from City in order to provide that balance. So he's probably been the key one. But I mean, our squad, as I say, has been good enough for the last couple of years to to finish in the top six. So it was never going to need massive changes. Uh, although I do think a lot of Oxford fans would want there to be a a striker certainly signed in in January because at the moment we're so reliant on on Matt Taylor for goals, um, which is fine because he's very good at scoring them, but uh, but at the same time you want that other option. Yeah, the the, the goal scoring threats I think are, are pretty clear mm. if you look at the stats. We've got um, I think is Taylor on eight so far this season in all competitions, and and Henry's on six in seventeen. So there's goals in the team. And yeah. Uh, yeah, I think Sunderland will, will have their um, their eyes open to all of those threats, and and I'm really anticipating, you know, a really challenging game on on Saturday. And I wanted your perspective. You've spoken at length and have praised in some of your media appearances Sunderland's kind of 
new style and new way of playing and and the and the way that you know our recruitment has changed and the the kind of the quality of players that we've brought in obviously we've had a bit of up and down form since you made some of those comments that yeah. went that that we were sharing around <laughs> uh what's your assessment of kind of maybe why there's been a, a drop off in in Sunderland's performance and um you know what what your expectations are as a as a fan as an Oxford fan of of coming up to the stage of my light and and the challenges that we're going to pose to Oxford uh, I mean as a fan I feel more confident going into this game than I have coming up to the stadium of light for a long time um I think you're you're there to be got out at the moment um because the form has quite clearly dipped I'm surely Johnson would point squarely at the injuries and and, and the absentees and say that's why it's happened I would, you know, and I hope, because I always feel bad saying this, because I've got a feeling he doesn't like it, but I would um, say that the, the manager, in terms of th- this is true to form, you know, Lee Johnson goes through spells where his teams look unbeatable, and then he'll go through spells where his teams look very, very poor. The reason for that, I don't know. We see often with, with manager profiles that certain managers have characteristic characteristics that follow them around in their career. Carl Robinson himself is a very streaky manager too, Um and I feel like we might be playing you in the middle of of one of um, one of Streaky Lee's poor streaks um, because even in the in the two games that you've won um, against Ipswich and against Cambridge, I don't think you've been very good. I, I think the performances haven't been great. I thought Ipswich until the first goal looked the better side, and the penalty decision was was a was a bizarre one. And then even against Cambridge, the you know it's it's an own goal, then it's a wonder strike from from Broadhead, which is obviously a, a, a great hit. But again, he didn't create a great deal against them. So. Yeah, I mean, I I still massively maintain what I said about about the club being in a better position. You know, you look at the the wage bill now compared to what it was when you first came down to League One level. It, the quality hasn't massively changed in your squad, yet you are no. being run as a sustainable, proper fo- League One football club built to to last, which is great. I think the decision to bring in Christian Speakman is is, is a great one. I think Lee Johnson is a fantastic League One manager as well, who who will take Sunderland on an upward trajectory. So there's no, you know, this isn't me in any way going back on what I've said, but I think injuries have played their part. And at this current moment in time, uh, and, and, you know, this is something that, that the data supports as well. I, I think Sunderland looked to me well short of a, of a kind of top four, top five team in their current guys. That's not to say that you won't finish up there at the end of the season mm. if, the, if the performances improve. Yeah, certainly. And I think um, January is going to be really important. Yeah. Um, I heard Speakman talking uh, a few weeks ago and it was already clear that they were very much planning uh, further recruitment in January and the injuries that have been kind of piling up over the last few weeks, I think, are going to make that ever more urgent. I think losing, obviously, Aidan McGeady long-term, losing Luke O'Nine long-term are going to shape a lot of the recruitment but uh the even before they went down and even before probably we we lost all of the left backs yeah. in the senior squad um <laughs> there there were probably some um some some improvements that need to be made i think i could see there being four five even one more coming in in january because there are a few areas that that we do need a bit more depth but overall one of the things that's come up on very many pods is just the strength of league 1 this year and and obviously with your kind of not on the top 20 hat on and your overall kind of broad view of the EFL, is that something that kind of is borne out by the date or just your kind of your general observing of 
the standard of League One. Because for me, over the four years, there's been almost a, a quite a visible transformation just in the way that football is played at Tier Three. Yeah, I mean, I, I think this is a far, far better um, iteration of, of League One than we've seen since Sunderland have been in the league. Um, and it promised to be that, to be fair. I think at the start of the season, anyone who, who follows the leagues knew that, you know, the teams who come down from the championship are always going to be strong. So we had Rotherham, who we knew we were going to be very good, Wickham too. Um, and then you look at the uh, sides who have had recent takeovers. So they've had new owners to mm-hmm. to to try and freshen things up and to bring in more investment. So there you've got Sunderland, you've got Ipswich, you've got Wigan. You've then got teams who, who consistently... Um, battle towards the top end of the table who haven't managed to get up Oxford Portsmouth um, MK Don's recently doing really really good stuff as well and I, and I forgot to mention the you know the biggest of the lot in Sheffield Wednesday who came down last season as well so even before the season started it was clear and what often frustrates me again as a fan is that you've got you start this season in League One and I reckon there are seven or eight clubs who are telling you that a top three finish is is a must that that can't happen so does that mean, by definition, you've got four or five managers who fail? Because that seems a bit unfair <laughs> when, when the expectations are so high. But that's what we've got here. And then you add to the mix a club like Plymouth Argyle, who I think we had predicted to finish 22nd in our, in our pre-season predictions, who started the season incredibly well. And then Ryan Lowe, they've got a manager who, who I'm, I'm sure is destined to manage at much higher level than, than League One. And even though they've come unstuck in, in their last couple of games, there's been enough in those games for me to show that they weren't just a fad. You know, that wasn't just a, a bit of a freak occurrence and being towards the top. They are going to improve. And uh, whether they finish in the top three or not, I don't know, but they are a team to, to take seriously. So, yeah, I mean, it hasn't been a massive surprise to me to see this. I think probably the only surprise has been that some of those teams who we thought would be very good... Ipswich being the obvious one, given the quality of player that they brought in, and, and you know, and Paul Cook, a manager who, who I thought would be very, very good at managing this side, but also you know maybe Port, maybe Portsmouth, maybe Sunderland, maybe Oxford, um, a few of these sides showing some some fairly obvious early weaknesses in, in games, um, which have enabled certainly Rotherham and probably Wigan to show that they are clear towards the top end. So. Um, and also, you add to that, you, teams who get promoted from League Two generally have a pretty good record in, in their first season at League One as well. And, and Charlton and Bolton have, have both shown already that they are um, at the very worst mid-table sides. So it, it's definitely better. I, I think you know, normally teams who come down from the Championship have a very good record of bouncing back up. And that hasn't quite been the, the case as much as, as usual in recent years, which is why we're seeing Ipswich, Sunderland, these teams um, staying down there. Um, but yeah, I think it's it's becoming a harder and harder league to get out of. There's no there's no denying that. It certainly is, and everyone's desperate as well. And uh, obviously, Sunderland fans, uh, I don't think ever expected to be down here five years ago. No, and uh, and and it still hurts. Yeah, uh, to be. But I, I do think that's a, a a welcome kind of dose of kind of perspective and, and realism in that there is just so many competitive teams and. The, Playing playing decent football as well, and and that's always, I mean, as a as just as a football fan, it's always good to see. Yeah, that it, you know, except for maybe maybe one club in Wickham who who do it the well, wrong way. Well, I was <laughs> I was just about to say, but all credit to them. You know, I think it's they they do what they have to do in order to to, to punch above their weight. And I'm a massive, you know, I, I've said when when you hired um, Lee Johnson, that I think Gareth Ainsworth would have been a a magnificent appointment. Yeah. Um, and, and I'm not necessarily convinced that his style of football at Wickham will always be the way that he looks to play. I think he is just aware 
that he has to get elevate his side to a certain level, uh, and that's the way to do it yeah. when he's when he's wicket manager. Certainly. So um, again, slightly just kind of taking our gears a little bit further out and looking at the game overall, because we've recently had Tracy Croucher's fan-led review of football come out, which obviously has big implications across the pyramid, but is very much focused on making the EFL overall more sustainable, financially sustainable, um, and giving us fans uh, a bigger voice, a bigger say, a more security in our um, kind of our fandom, and that our clubs, hopefully, if if the recommendations are implemented, will be less likely to disappear from under underneath us with things like mm. the, the kind of the golden share and 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 um, possibly securing uh, that kind of link between football clubs and where they play. Um, for for you, what were the most kind of important recommendations that came out of that? Was it just the whole concept of a, an independent regulator, or is it some of the kind of finer detail that actually might have the bigger long term implications? I, I think all of it. I mean, I, I should say here that, that Ali and I um, are are doing a fifteen minute segment on this on Friday night on Sky Sports Football after the um, Fulham Bournemouth game. So um, we're kind of very much um, in in research phase at the moment as to how we want mm-hmm. that to go. Um, so it's something I'm looking into a lot at the moment. And I think, you know, a couple of things that are just obviously, obviously good throughout the pyramid um, where the golden share is, you know, it's, it's implemented very well at the moment by Brentford. Um, it is a, a, an ability to ensure that no matter who the owner is, no matter what their intentions are, certain parts of a club's history and heritage has to be protected. And, and that has to be a good thing. And, and I would... Mm-hmm. You know, anybody who argues otherwise can only have ill intentions. Uh, and the same can probably be said of the, the shadow board as well, uh, which is another um, idea which would see a board of fans effectively being consulted on on all important matters at the club um, with a, a, a need to consult them twice a year at least, I think is the is the recommendation. So all that stuff has got to be good. And I think it's, it's almost a bit of a, a waste of time talking about them too much beyond just explaining them because I'm sure they will be implemented. Um, the, the bigger issues and the one that is the most interesting where you've got to kind of choose your words quite well it is around both the the increased transfer levy that would be paid by premier league clubs to the efl um up i think from four percent to ten percent for any players bought from foreign leagues or from the premier league um and also the the independent uh, regulator for english football iref which would basically oversee all um football governance in this country and those are the issues that unsurprisingly have have got Premier League execs backs up and some of the rhetoric that we're seeing from Premier League execs is is bordering on the ridiculous you know we have Mm. Karen Brady in in a certain red top um saying that um comparing it to to North Korea got Kinnear but from Leeds in in his program loads calling it kind of comparing it to to Mao policies I mean it's there's obviously like a, a a very deliberate um, attempt to use language which will get an emotional reaction from from fans, um, which is, is should I mean they're straw man arguments that should be see we should be able to see through it very very comfortably, um, because at the moment we are seeing a, a system where clubs are basically self governed and they they own the the leagues that they play within, and I saw against League Three, who's a very good Twitter account about all of this yeah. stuff, compared it to being able to um, ask a child if they want a salad or cake for dinner effectively. You know, you're, you're basically enabling the clubs to make all the decisions based on how they want to behave. And 
getting a reaction. You know, we heard Christian Perslow on 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 Talk Sport say that all good things in English football are in the Premier League, um, which is a remarkable quote. And crucially, seeing these figures, these executives from the Premier League, um, so quickly coming out to argue against these these um, recommendations, has to be the the biggest signifier so far of how important that they are yeah. because it is showing you know it's it's basically people panicking because the the power and the money is being taken away from them and and again in in, in i think it's, what's his angus Kinnear's program notes at leeds he says that just to look at the english pyramid you will see teams that were still that were in existence 20 years ago still existing as if that is the bare minimum of of, of health within the pyramid is the fact that these teams still exist yeah he only has to look back four or five years at the club where, that he worked at in Aston Villa, who, due to the the unsustainable nature of pyramid payments, um, sorry, parachute payments, uh, nearly went out of business themselves. Angus Kinnear at Leeds, you know, had went through absolute financial hardship through overspending. Um, they want to completely redo how the the owners and directors test is done, which is great again because we've seen so many malicious owners come into clubs or incompetent owners come into clubs in recent times. Tracy Crouch said, you know, there should be a thing where if you're a convicted criminal, you shouldn't be able to own a club. I mean, that seems fairly, fairly obvious. Um, I think it's important to provide a balance to this conversation. I need to um, iron out how I'm going to do it live on TV on Friday Mm -hmm. night and make sure that I don't have any lawyers knocking on my door. But, um, But it's important that balance is provided because at the moment, the annoying thing is, is that naturally because, because the money is in the Premier League, it means that in this debate that is now taking place, despite the great work of Tracy Crouch, who's going on many, many podcasts, we're trying to get her onto our podcast. She's done the Q&A on LBC. She's been on on Five Live and all this other stuff. Most of the articles that we're reading and most of the, the stuff that's getting airtime at the moment is is Premier League-driven narrative. Yeah. And, and and hopefully we can provide something of a, of, a, of a balance to that. And you dig down into the report from the review as well and and further down the chapters there are mm. some really really important issues actually dealt with in there around like player welfare yeah. around the women's uh, women's game around kind of equalities more generally and how that's done uh, across football so it's not just those headline things around no. the distribution of money which are obviously really really important and and maybe g- given a bit of you know a little bit of balance one thing we do have to be careful not to, you know, shoot the the golden goose, you know. Of course, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. In, in terms of the Premier League, but I don't think the Premier League is short on sponsorship money. It's just had its huge deal with or deals with American broadcasters uh, come through. So the, there's a fair few quid still floating around, and they're still able to spend on transfers. I think that's the key point, and the other thing we should say is because a lot of the the you know the stuff that is driven here is around how much the Premier League already pay the EFL. Well, a massive majority of the figures you'll see that come into that are parachute payments. So they're going yeah. effectively to three relegated clubs. It, it, it's not equally shared throughout the throughout the, the pyramid at all. Um, and, and as you mentioned, the, the increased transfer levy from whatever 4% it is to 10%, whilst it would it would impact Premier League clubs, of course. I mean, it... it the idea that it's a radical shift and it's going to massively damage the the Premier League's ability to to attract the best players or whatever is is is, is nonsense and and it obviously yeah. would I mean and and if it did bring the um, 
you know, the, a competitive balance a little bit closer together because the, the rate we're going at, the, the you know, the divide between the Championship and the Premier League is going to get ridiculous. You only have to look at the Premier League and the clubs who get relegated and how they perform afterwards to see that. Um, and I think the other important thing is you are right. The I mentioned the golden shares and the, and the shadow board. Um, Tracy Crouch also recommended that there's a whole new report on the women's game, which would be fantastic. Uh, player welfare is, is clearly an important thing, as is, um, you know, a, a push for equality in all forms of the games in the game at clubs. You know, you, you look at the the issues surrounding um, cricket at the moment and, and you know, we need to make mm-hmm. sure that our sports environments in the community and at clubs is, is wholly inclusive. But let's not get ourselves in a situation where the Premier League stakeholders are saying, OK, well, you can have all that stuff. That's all great. But this is the things we're taking off the table because yeah. um, it shouldn't be um, okay. It shouldn't be a negotiation between between the, the the different recommendations. Definitely, and that and that in that involves fans across all clubs, across all divisions, from you know your Liverpool's, Man United's, and and Man City's and Chelsea's down to Rotherham's and Rochdale's yeah. and Oxford's and Sunderland's and Tranmere's, all sticking to our guns and making sure that our elected representatives, whether they're Tory, Labour, Lib Dem, whatever, are are on message yeah. with this. They all had it in their manifestos that they would do this, and the 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 time needs to be set aside to legislate properly on it. And make sure that the law sitting behind whatever independent regulator comes out is robust and doesn't get lobbied away and get chipped away by the vested interests of of the the multi billionaires right right at the top of the game. So um. Final thoughts ahead of uh, Sunderland v Oxford on Saturday. Then, George, you're you're expecting a, a an Oxford win, I Ooh. guess. And I'm not going to ask don't, you for a score don't, prediction. Don't, don't but... put words in my mouth. Um, <laughs> uh, I, I I'm I'm, in, I'm interested to see what team you put out. I mean, I don't know when this mm. is going to go out, but what team you put out tonight in the in the EFL Trophy? Because if you are down to bare bones and therefore you have to start a fair few of the players who are going to start on Saturday. I would be very happy um, to see that given we have the, the week off. Um, but without knowing our team and, and who's going to be back available after the COVID issues, it's hard to, it's hard to know. So I'm going to say what I always say when you guys invite me on, because it's normally right when, when we play 1-1. <laughs> Over the seasons has been a really good prediction for Sunderland this year. We're not drawing too many no, games. No, I know. I know. So, uh, <laughs> so, but I, I, I think it is a really sensible prediction. Uh, I thank you for your time. This afternoon, uh, George, I know you're busy and best of luck for the rest of the season, apart from obviously the games against Sunderland and any playoff that we may feature in <laughs> at some point. Let's hope not. Uh, let's hope we both go up uh, automatically and there's no such dramas. But uh, yeah, cheers for your time. Um, and just a message to our listeners. Um, obviously, we're in the middle of our Christmas fundraising appeal for Sunderland Community Soup Kitchen. We've got loads of content on the website loads of uh, interesting articles about where the money is spent about some of the issues that Sunderland Community Soup Kitchen are dealing with in our community in Sunderland they do some amazing work we've also got um, next weekend we're doing a 24-hour Twitter space it's going to be very challenging how on earth uh, me and the other hosts are going to stay awake for that long I have no idea (laughs) there'll be plenty of coffee involved hoping to get Loads of really interesting guests from across the football world. Loads of people with Sunderland connections dropping in and, and chatting to us 
I think we're also going to do a karaoke on the Friday night. So uh, plenty to look forward to then. Loads of ways to get involved, but please do donate. The link will be in the podcast description. And thanks very much for your time. Tara. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.